This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Bottom Line podcast here on the Blood Red channel. Myself, Matt Addison, alongside the Echo's business of football writer, Dave Powell. Dave, I hope you're well. We've got loads to get into with Redbird, AC Milan takeover, Liverpool overtaking Manchester United, potentially in terms of revenues. I mean, it's been a busy start to the season for those of us covering the Reds on the pitch, but it sounds like it has been for you as well. Yeah, um, it the, the publishing of the, the off, off the pitch report, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, kind of alludes to well, it forecasts the uh, the revenues from the financial accounts for football clubs um, for the 2021 22 period. So that's been some interesting reading over the past couple of days. We've had the, the Redbird um, acquisition of AC Milan, which has, has rumbled on over, over the summer, um, as well as a myriad of other things, such as the FSG that I've had to deal with, such as a perceived lack of of transfer spend, most sellers' contract, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, yeah, it, in terms of on the football side, it's not been you know it's it's started off fairly explosively. Um, I mean, as we we record this, um, you know, Thomas Tuchel's been been sacked with six games into his season, so it's um, it's already delightfully bonkers. Um, but yeah, the, the off the pitch things haven't haven't been quiet either. So um, yeah, there's plenty to discuss. Yeah, I'm sure if you were doing this job as a, a Chelsea reporter, it would be uh, a very interesting period, shall we shall we say? But uh, yeah, let let's start with the, the the AC Milan takeover and and all of that kind of thing around Redbird. And I suppose the obvious place to start really is to explain for anyone who doesn't know why is it Liverpool should be sort of taking a look at this? Why is it we're talking about it on this particular podcast? What's what's the link with the Reds? Um, well, we've covered the Redbird um, deal since it, it, it first arrived in, in terms of a, um, a special purchase acquisition company which called Red Ball, which had Billy Bean involved. Um, the idea behind that was potentially to, to acquire a slice of FSG, um, FSG of the whole, not not particularly Liverpool, um, for about around twenty five percent of that. Maybe looking at taking it onto the stock market. That was kicked into the long grass um, back end of twenty twenty, early twenty twenty one. But Redbird and, and its founder and managing partner Jerry Cardinal remained at the table to talk with FSG, and then they ended up concluding a, a seven hundred fifty million dollar investment uh, into FSG's empire. Uh, in March of 2021. So what that did, it, it it gave FSG during you know the difficult financial implications of the pandemic um, a capital injection to be able to. It, it was never going to be used. I know you know people would have liked it to be used for you know for, for transfer spend etc. But that's not how private private equity works. You know it's there to provide cash flow into a business to allow them to continue their plans for growth. So one of the biggest things about that was buying the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, it also emboldened FSG to be able to push ahead with Anfield Road, etc., through having more confidence to provide the, the intercompany loans, etc. So all these things have been able to move ahead. They've built a new music concert in uh, arena in uh, Boston, just adjacent to Fenway Park. So loads of different things have have happened as a result of this. Um, Redbird own eleven percent of FSG. Um, some suggestion that made to me that they may in the future. Um, increase their, their their stake in in the company, but that's certainly not a, something which is in the here and now or, or, or immediate future. Um, but what they are doing is they, they've made significant strides into um, the football industry through ownership of Toulouse, and they acquired AC Milan this summer. And they are 
the, the reason FSG partnered with them and why it's it's interesting to Liverpool is that they are seen as the vanguard of of kind of um, sports investment um, globally. They are have a, a a real kind of excellent set of skills. I mean, FSG bringing them in was designed really to a get uh, a capital injection, you know, a significant one during COVID. Um, but also to tap into their expertise and, and mine their knowledge in, in other areas of um, trying to grow the business, which ultimately, while it, it seems like a really long-winded way of getting to, to Liverpool, um, the strength of FSG ultimately underpins, you know, helps Liverpool and, and their investment uh, into what they can do with Liverpool. And obviously that's a very um, pertinent point at the moment because people were understandably a bit disappointed with how the transfer window went. Um, net spend's been called into question again. I know that's something which rears its head every every summer usually. Um, but the strength, a strong FSG is, you know, FSG would see as um, allowing for a, a better chance of a strong Liverpool. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? The kind of, of relationships that they've struck up, the way that that this will work. You mentioned Toulouse there as well, part of of that sort of wider group. I mean. Is there a potential for there to be a kind of direct partnership? I suppose that would be more appealing to Liverpool in that it's Milan now, the, the champions of, of Italy, more so than, than possibly Toulouse, certainly from an outside perspective anyway. But, I mean, is that a kind of realistic thing? How how closely aligned are Liverpool and Milan allowed to be, given that this has taken place? Um, well, there's no concern from UEFA's point of view, um, because... FSG own a minority stake of, you know, 11% is not going to register for, for UEFA, but also, crucially, they don't have anyone um, from Redbird who sit on an administrative capacity or at board level for Liverpool, which means they're not involved in direct decision-making. They're there to provide capital and expertise for FSG to grow other you know, facets of the business. I mean, another example is they um, concluded an investment into Spring Hill, which is LeBron James's and Maverick Carter's um, production company, so they only stake of that. So along with Nike, uh, Redbird, and, and Epic Games. So, but for um, in terms of a link up with, with Toulouse, uh, the actual Toulouse purchase was done through uh, it's kind of a subsidiary company of, of Redbird Capital Partners, which is called Redbird FC. Um, I believe the Redbird uh, the acquisition of AC Milan is done through Redbird Capital Partners itself, but. Um, there is obviously there's a link there. I mean, you wonder whether the a simpatico relationship, um, where there's ownership who are already aligned and they already have business interests together, there might be some benefits you may, you know, it could be whether it's pre-season friendlies, whether it's sending um the occasional player out on loan to get experience, but none of that is is ever really been suggested. These two things operate completely independently of one another. Um because I think FSG have their own um, plans to create more of a multi-club network. I don't think you're going to see see them move like City Football Group do, for instance, who've got, you know, they're, they're into 12, 13, 14 clubs that they own globally. But I do think the plan is further down the line for FSG to add more football teams um, uh, across Europe, um, potentially Brazil, which has been mooted because there's a, there's a growing market in terms of media rights there. Um, but there'll be no, you you know, it, there's, it's a strange one because they are, when you look at it, they are very much at arm's length from each other. Um, but, um, I mean, Jerry Cardinal has been asked in the past whether he would be interested in 
um, acquiring Liverpool. You never, he, he's never denied that would be a wonderful opportunity. But I think the AC Milan purchase changes the dynamic of things very much now because they've got their hands on a prized asset. But that's not to say that they won't continue to invest in, in FSG and grow their their slice of that pie. Um, nor does it completely rule them out from from taking, you know, eventually being the um, the owners of Liverpool. I mean, that's not the plan. It's not been discussed, but that, you know, they, that's never been removed from 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 discussion. So, um, but for the hit, you know, for now and the, and the long term plan that Redbird have is is for Milan. It's not for for Liverpool, but their plan is for FSG very much remaining the same. You mentioned there the, the possibility of a kind of you know increase in the number of football clubs that FSG own and, and that kind of thing. You mentioned there as well about City, which I think is is really interesting. We've seen them kind of benefit from that and lots of, of different ways in which that can be beneficial. It's it's something that's kind of been talked about for, for a little while. Is, is it just a case of FSG waiting for the right opportunity, do you think? Do you think that's why it's not happened yet? It's just that the right club hasn't become available to do that with? I think they are working on the. Um, I don't think football is their next move. It will be a move, but um, from what I'm told um, by people in the US, is that the the next move will be uh, an NBA team. Um, that's what they want. That's that's what they're hoping for. The next move will be an NBA team. Um, with my understanding being that they want the expansion franchise in Las Vegas. Um, which potentially could be, I mean, the NBA has tried to kick this can down the road a little bit uh, in terms of saying that it's, it's not immediately on the agenda because they want two more franchise. There's been talk of two more franchises in the NBA, one in Las Vegas, one in Seattle. I mean, Seattle used to have the Supersonics um, for decades and they were a successful franchise, whereas Las Vegas um, has really seen a boon in sports investment over the past two years I mean they've had the the Raiders go there um the Golden Knights so they've got NFL team the NHL team um NHL team there too and NBA is the next logical step I mean there's already investment been made in terms of a, a 20,000 seater arena which they're hoping to get up and running by the time as soon as the the NBA say yes you can have an expansion franchise but my I, my understanding is that Las Vegas is what FSG want and they want LeBron James to uh, to run it and be there. I mean, he's always talked about team ownership and obviously he has a, a stake in FSG. He, um, so that seems like the most logical step. But following on from that, I think once they have a, a clear, de- defined timescale on when that may happen, um, I think they'll start to look at um, other ways that they can invest their money in terms of football. They won't be going after another prize asset like Liverpool. I mean, they've got one of the most um, lucrative um, global brands in, in football, not just in football, but in, in global sport in Liverpool. So the next move, you imagine they'll try and find something which works alongside that and in, is in some way beneficial to Liverpool. Um, Europe's ripe for opportunity, but as I mentioned before, Brazil uh, in particular, there is uh, Brazil seen as the kind of the home of football, I suppose, that real in terms of the, the beauty of it. Um, but the their domestic right uh, product hasn't been great. So, but attendances are strong, uh, and there's more interest now in, in terms of media rights uh, moving forward. So, I think wherever the media rights will be strong, you'll see FSG place um, place their marker. But um, 
as as I mentioned, I think the first first thing they're going to go for is is um, is an expansion franchise in the NBA. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, the, the Brazil thing could be interesting as well, I think, from a, a Brexit perspective in terms of trying to get players in from South America as well. Like, That's absolutely right, because the um, we, we already sort of seen, um, there's been a bit of a Brazil connection at Liverpool, isn't there? You know, there's Alisson Fabinho, Claudio Taffarel, um, but then you've, uh, Fabinho, so then you've got um, Marce- Marcelo Petaluga joined um, to the youth ranks. So with Brexit causing such headaches, I mean, we've, we've we see it this week with Diego Costa having his move held up um, to Wolves. It allows for um, for Liverpool to potentially house some talent uh, until such time they were able to get their necessary points um, to allow them to move over. So there is that that potential. I think they like the way that maybe Leipzig does their business. I think if you were to look at a business model that they would follow, that they would look to to emulate, it would be kind of what Leipzig do. So they bring, you know, you look at the Salzburg, so they've got Leifering, Salzburg, um, and, and uh, Leipzig, Salzburg, and uh, Leifering, which sit in kind of a three-club system where they go from Leifering to Salzburg to, to Leipzig. Um, they're all independent of one another for, for, for legal purposes, but um, they all sing from the same hymn sheet and you look at talent. I mean, look at the players that Liverpool have acquired from them and Ibrahim Akanate, Naby Keita, um, they were interested in Dominic Zabozlai. So um, I think they would see it as a, uh, it's almost a, a way to source um, talent through your own system. Um, it's almost like a farm system like they have in uh, Major League Baseball. So producing your own talent is the most cost-effective way of um of, of success, I mean, you see it with Trent Alexander-Arnold. They love a team of Trent Alexander-Arnolds because it's you know it's it's cost-effective. But um, I think that'll be if you were to think about how they were going to manage what a football club portfolio would look like. I think um, what Red Bull do is is probably not too far wide of the mark. Yeah, it's really interesting, that isn't it? It'd be interesting to see what they do over the next few years in in terms of of that stuff. Just before we move on to to the revenues and and that stuff that we're going to talk about as well, just a, a last point really on the uh, the AC Milan thing. I noticed in the the statement that they put out was the the link with the the New York Yankees, the baseball team. Obviously, the the FSG link with with baseball is is obvious in the Red Sox as well. But there was mention of kind of a, a strategic partnership. You know, sort of what that means and, and is there a way that maybe Liverpool could, could look at something similar in the future perhaps? Well, it's quite, um, I think it's one of the most, it, it's really clever. I mean, you, there was a lot of headline figures around, uh, headlines around um, LeBron James and Drake investing in AC Milan. I mean, in reality, they are investors in an in investment fund that invested in uh, AC Milan, so which is a minority stake, so it's very small. But the, the link up with... Um, the Yankees comes through ownership of the Yankees, which is Yankee Global Enterprises. Um, now, Cardinal has a, a, a lengthy relationship with the Yankees because he was, um, when he was at Goldman Sachs, he was uh, an early investor in the Yes Network and he was an advisor as well. So the Yes Network is effectively uh, the major markets in the US um, have their own regional cable TV networks. Where So the Yankees and Brooklyn Nets games, I think, are shown to the New York um, state or city area uh, via the Yes Network and its app. And that's a huge audience. Um, FSG actually own, so the, the Yankees are owners of the Yes Network, so they get all exclusive content and they, they kind of, they own the rights. 
um, whereas FSG own uh, Nesson, which is the kind of the Massachusetts Boston equivalent of the Yes Network. But what it means for um, for AC Milan is that there may be a, a friendly Yankee Stadium, for example, next summer. That's something that's been suggested to me. But um, a key thing is that um, they want AC Milan, want, uh, Cardinal and Redbird want to project AC Milan to a broader US audience, and they've managed to get some um, get them on the the programming schedule for the Yes Network. So there'll be a magazine show, highlights packages uh, available to a, a New York audience um, just on AC Milan content, and that's really really clever way of of making you know of taking investment and making it work for you so how that relates to liverpool you wonder whether there will be opportunities um for liverpool to to seek something similar um as as the redbird kind of link grows um because america is now a huge it's always been the market which everyone wants to try and crack i mean music artists always try and crack america you know and now it's the same for football and, and european football wants to break america and and that's heading in the the right direction now because the world cup in 94 kind of was a the the lightning rod i suppose which kick-started the mls um but since then it's been slow growth um so the most watched um domestic league in in it um, America is the uh, Mexican Liga MX, but that's largely because there's a, a, a large Spanish-speaking Hispanic population in in America who love their football. Um, the Premier League second, MLS third, so European football wants to to tap into that now. With the World Cup coming in 2026, more prominent US players, managers over here in the UK, Jesse Marsh, Brendan Aronson, players like that, Pulisic. Um, there is people. It, it seems like it's ripe for opportunity now. Liverpool have made significant strides there in recent years, um, and they'll look at you know they'll be looking at I'm sure at that yes network link up and thinking they'd like to try and find a way to get exclusive Liverpool program into an audience of um, millions every single week um, in America in some way, shape, or form that doesn't you know away from um, the Premier League, but. Obviously, with Premier League rights, they are you know the highlights packages etc. are all sold um, for, for it's two million, two billion the, the latest round of that. So it's an expensive do. So finding a way to, to grow their audience with Premier League sides is harder than it is uh, for that, for um, Serie A sides. So Redbird have been quick to tap into that market. Yeah, certainly something to to watch out for. I think in the future as we uh, see how these partnerships start to develop. But let's move on to the other big topic that we wanted to to get into today. Obviously. Manchester United, Liverpool battles on and off the pitch, no sort of stranger to those sorts of things. But I noticed you you wrote a piece earlier in the week around sort of Liverpool being predicted, at least by a, a fairly accurate model, to have moved above Manchester United in terms of the revenues. What's the details on, on this one and kind of what what's the kind of breakdown on it? Why is it important to, to FSG, I suppose, as much as Liverpool? These are forecast results, but... Um... The last time off the pitch did them was in 2019 pre-COVID and they were more than 95% accurate, I think, in terms of what the actual accounts were. So um, it, 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 they won't be won't be too far off. Um, but it suggests a, um, a pre-tax uh, profit of 76 million, which would be a club record. Um, same for a turnovers of 602 million. Now, um, a lot of that is attributed to match day revenue returning, of course, Um I think during last year's accounts, which is 2021, um, it took into account the uh, a season played behind closed doors, which meant Liverpool took in less than four million because um, fans were allowed back for a very small 
section of games, weren't they? Um, at Anfield that, that season. Um, but the uh, the match day revenues have returned to like ninety million close on for Liverpool now. Um, take well in, in last season's accounts, uh, taking into account the fact that they it was um, you know thirty eight Premier League games. Um, uh, gosh, there was how many games at Anfield in, in the Champions League. I mean they they. That going deep in, in European competition, even domestic competition, while the prize money's limited, um, you're getting full houses at Anfield, whether you know whether or not usually whether if it's Carlisle United or whether it's in the Carabao Cup or whether it's um, you know at Real Madrid at home in the Champions League, you know there's there's, there's going to be plenty of people there. Um, so that's improved. Commercial revenues have significantly improved. Um, number of new deals signed. Um, we'll also see the first knock into the Nike deal. In its true form, I think um, how that's you know, obviously that deal's thirty million guaranteed, but then it's twenty uh, percent of the the um, of cost from the sale of Liverpool and Nike merchandise globally gets kicked back to Liverpool, so that could be lucrative. Um, and uh, broadcasting rights as well have increased because Liverpool featured more times on the telly. Same, for, uh, but prize money was a big big factor in Liverpool. Um, likely to see big rises next year is because they made more than 100 million, I think, from the Champions League um, through prize money, TV money. And when you take into account everything else around that, um, that's a huge, huge amount. Domestic Cup competition was, I mean, I think for winning the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup, you're talking about 6 million for the two. Um, but finishing second, the Premier League, means they get 5 million more than who finished third. So all these things take into account um for a successful season and when compared to United who've um, had their struggles on the pitch they've not been going deep into European competition um, they've not performed well in the league um, and they've had outlay on players has been far more than um, what they're getting in all this makes for uh, the two teams passing each other um, in terms of revenues, which was always the trajectory had been there for a while. Uh, Liverpool have been really good at leveraging their success on the pitch, but you do fit. I mean, United have actually done quite well in terms of hanging in and how good their revenues have been for a number of years, despite the fact that they've, you know, they've, they've been poor um, competitively, but Liverpool are far more closely aligned. I think in terms of their, their competitiveness on the field and their revenues are still very much, Two things, you know, they are they're very much closely aligned. So um, it's imperative, really, that Liverpool keep their foot on the accelerator and um, and making strides in Europe and, and at home, um, because that's still very, very much key to their them being a successful and you know, having a successful business model. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With that in mind, then, I'm sure when you say a pre-tax profit of 76 million, the immediate question from a lot of Liverpool fans will be, well, why wasn't that money spent in the transfer market to make sure that this continues in future? But is it that simple? Is it a case of, of that being the case? And almost you do have to invest a little bit to, to get the continua- continuation of, of this in the future. Or what do you think that the kind of thought process was in, in terms of that this summer? The, if you're asking me the question if they could afford it uh, to, to go out and sign Jude Bellingham, then yes, they could. Um, they could, you know, they they are a club that has more financial fair play wriggle room than anyone in Europe. I'd, I'd argue or most teams in Europe. However, 
um, it there's a, a long-held um, <clears throat> strategy at Liverpool where it's um, it's not always you know player sales underpinning um, what happens on in the transfer market, but that has been a big part of it. Um, the salary negotiation comes into play this <clears throat> coming season, so the wage bill will, will rise. Um, disposals of player registrations next summer, <clears throat> pardon me, um, we'll see. Um, you know, like Alex Oxley Chamberlain, and the likes, um, the question marks over Naby Keita. They haven't got the assets to sell so much next summer. Um, they will feel that they've already outlaid money on uh, Darwin Nunes. While we can look at net spend, etc., <clears throat> they will look at that as an investment. When in reality, obviously, they've they've moved to replace Sadio Mane, etc. But it's going to be expensive for him ne- next summer. Um, it's not. I mean, baseball operates. Obviously, they have the Red Sox. Baseball operates on a system where a bad season can the reset button can almost be hit the following year. Obviously, you have payroll obligations which you'd have to manage. <clears throat> but the um, the competitiveness gets reset every year. So and that doesn't affect your revenues to the degree it does if you miss out on the top four in the Premier League. So in order for them to... I mean, we've got the problem of the agents squad that people point to about Henderson, Milner, etc. Um, they're going to have to invest serious money next year. They're not going to be able to get that back. Um, people were arguing whether they could do it this this year. Um, but they're obviously factoring in a number of, of things here to try and spread the cost. Um over a longer period of time. Could they have afforded it? Yes, they could have, you know, um, but it's, they are maintaining their stance of, of, of being a sustainable business that operates within the, the realms of, of what it earns. You know, they, they, they spend what they earn and, and they don't take money out of the, the business. They never have. Um, and they are financing infrastructure development, which has raised revenues, but um there's, there's no real getting away from the fact they're going to have to spend next summer a um, considerable amount to address some um, some issues, which probably valid. You know, there are valid reasons, you know, valid concerns from fans that was to why they weren't really addressed this summer, um, and, and kind of the, the backpedalling to try and get Artemelo in um, so late on a loan, kind of points to the fact that they they probably missed the boat in terms of adding. I mean, they wanted Chiumani as well. Would Chiumani um, have come in the same window as Nunes? Yes, probably. But again, it's the same. You know, do you, Liverpool's model has always been you. They have a strategy. Um, they have a list of players they want to get someone like Bellingham so late in the transfer window um, <clears throat> from Dortmund, who have already lost Haaland. They would have been asking, you know, huge sums of money, which the um, sets a precedent in the transfer market then for Liverpool. So it, it, you're almost trying to keep up appearances of being shrewd negotiators and tough negotiators and, and, and getting players for the right prices at the same time as addressing needs on the pitch. So, um, yeah, they could have could have made additions this summer. They didn't. Um, they're going to have to next summer. The money will be there. Let's just finish up then with the, the sort of contracts and, and wages. You mentioned those before. Obviously, the big one this summer was Mohamed Salah, and that finally got done. That was a huge thing for, for Liverpool to do. But I suppose at the same time as that, you'd look at, say, the Sadio Mane sale. They've replaced Sadio Mane with a player who is on far less money in Darwin Nunez, probably maybe even sort of 25, 30% of what it would have been to to give Sadio Mane a new contract. Is is the wage bill not a problem, but it's obviously growing. Is that something that had to be considered as well this summer, that it wasn't just an investment in Darwin Nunez, it was also kind of almost saving a bit of money on the, the wages, if not in the transfer fee? 
as long as revenues continue to rise, um, they won't be concerned about wage bill payroll increasing year on year because that just tends to happen. I mean, if you look at the increase in Liverpool's payroll um, since FSG took over, it's increased by something like 200 million. Um, it's an enormous rise. But um, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of bonus related, etc. So the, the the wages, the wage bill in we saw was considerably high year before last was down to bonus payments paid for the champions league etc so take that out it's a bit cheaper obviously they're happy to pay out bigger wage bills if it's bonus related because it means the team's achieved success uh, and that's delivered higher revenues anyway um but i don't think wage bill is some i think they stand underneath the 70 percent recommended threshold of that you well uh, consider you know I think they're sixty five sixty six percent, which is well below. I mean some teams are operating in the nineties. Um, I mean Leicester I think are operating at more than hundred percent of their um, their revenues are uh, you know going towards wages, um, which is just unsustainable by any stretch of the imagination. It's not being you know there is no value in that for, for what they're doing at the moment. Um, so there's room for for growth there. Obviously they I think. The Salah renegotiation they had to factor in. Uh, it's going to be a considerable rise for him, but there is, I mean, there, there is room for growth for for wages for um, for for a big addition or or more more than one big addition um, to come. Um, it's about you know I, I suppose the biggest question for them is whether they find the right people, um, and I suppose a lot of that comes. To, I mean, Jurgen Klopp has a uh, a good relationship. Um, with Mike Gordon, who's FSG's man on the ground at Liverpool, um, has been since he took over. He's the man that really directs um, the FSG um, strategy at Liverpool. Um, so you do wonder. I think those two are still, you know, closely aligned. I believe so. It's. Um, I think next summer is going to be really interesting. I know everyone calls Liverpool kind of next summer FC, and I understand that um, entirely. I think last summer we were talking about this summer being the summer where they'll do something. Um, but it's there is money there um, for them to spend. And I don't think they'd be too considered about um, a wage bill rise. If anything, they've positioned themselves quite well to go at the market next summer. I mean, you only have to look at Chelsea this summer. Todd, Todd Burley and Clear Lake have come in, and they've spent two hundred and seventy million plus. They've and they've they're six games into a season, and they the manager that they had they were talking about hiring, uh, giving a new contract to. Last month uh, has now been sacked. Probably going to have to pay him 14 million in compensation. So that's almost 300 million out the door this summer. I know they got some money back through player sales, but there is they are now having to hire a new man to try and deliver success. And you you start the cycle again. So Liverpool obviously have clock in situ. They have that new contract. They have some strategic positioning there. The key thing is that they have to get the recruitment right again um, in a big way moving forward whether that's january whether it's next summer because they can't afford to to slip up or, or fall away here yeah they had that big summer didn't they in 2018 partially funded of course by the sale of Felipe coutinho but sort of feels like they're going to have to have another summer a bit like that but without the coutinho sale to fund it so exactly, yeah, exactly. it could be a could be an interesting one in 2023 but i think that's just about all we've got time for thank you Today for coming on and giving us his insight. Make sure to check out Dave's writing on the Echo around all the financial elements of the Reds. And we'll have another edition of this show for you very soon. For now, though, thank you for listening and goodbye for now. 
You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.